I wanted to, uh, first of all, just sort of tell you a story this morning. I don't like to come in preaching. I like to come in uh, sharing the Word of God and sharing part of my story and letting you know a little bit about uh, who I am, just in case you have me back. Uh, I won't have to go over that again, Um, so we'll do that. So for 29 years, I was a pastor um, uh, in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, I was uh, three years ago in October. um, I was preaching through Psalm 23, piece by piece. One sermon, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures was the next sermon. I was working my way through through Psalm 23. And I got to the passage, he restoreth my soul. And I was looking into what our soul is, and, and I was looking into restoration of the soul, and uh, I came across a passage in Scripture which was very familiar to me because I love the Psalms and I love and I love music. And uh, and so there I was, 29 years of ministry, married, three children, two of them still in school at that time. And I came across this passage in Psalm 42. And it sort of gave me a window, I believed, into Psalm 23, where it says, He restoreth my soul. Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Now that was something I was used to. I wasn't used to not doing it. I was used to doing it. I was used to going there. I was used to the band rocking out on Sunday morning having a good time, being right up there with them, singing along, leading the singing. Verse 5, Why am my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? The word downcast, we would think of as an emotional term. I'm sad, I'm despondent, I'm discouraged, I'm depressed. I'm not having a good time. Life is sort of dark. It's actually a shepherding term. It's actually, which goes along with me, I was raised on a farm. My grandfather had sheep. My parents had cattle. Um, So I was raised on a farm. I, I know animals. And downcast is a shepherding term. And I've seen animals in this predicament before. Downcast is actually when a sheep gets flipped over on its back and it can't right itself. It's cast and it's down. It's stuck. YouTube it. You'll see pictures of sheep on their back trying to flip over 
their their legs go on like this and they just can't right themselves and they will die if someone doesn't tip them over they will bloat up and die and so a downcast sheep has been something that has been going on for all of shepherding times and so when the writer of this psalm was saying why are you cast down oh my soul why are you stuck oh my soul it was a shepherding term and everybody had a visual everybody knew that sheep get stuck and sheep get on their back and if the shepherd doesn't tip them over they die if the shepherd is not taking care of the sheep there's usually two times when this happens one it's because the wool needs to be shorn and that's what's keeping it. It gets into a soft spot and gets turned over and can't right itself. Or when they're expecting. And the people of that day also knew about what happened when one was expecting and how a life might be lost during those times since we didn't have an emergency room to go to. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Well, there's a thousand reasons why someone can be stuck and cast down right at this moment. There's emotional reasons. There's relational reasons. There's addiction issues. There's so many things that can get a person stuck, even in their relationship with God. Feeling... powerless, wishing one could write things, flailing away, but just making things worse. Why, my soul, are you downcast? The best way I could describe soul to you is if you pictured me um, as a computer, and I'm, and our, the soul is the hard drive. Everything comes through it. It's sort of what controls the whole thing. There's nothing that it doesn't touch in the whole system. Our soul is that. And so when our soul is downcast, it means what is going on in, in your life, what is going on in this person's life is affecting everything. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And then there's this proclamation, kind of like, you know, a kicking yourself in the pants, so to speak. Telling yourself what to do, self-talking yourself through it. And the person says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and God. So we've got the hope. But when one verbalizes this, we've got the faith. Faith is actually speaking it out when one is laying on their back, stuck. So when Psalm 23 says, He restoreth my soul, it might well very be that we could connect it to Psalm 43. 
too and say that when we are stuck, when we are downcast, we put our hope in God and he restores the hard drive of our soul and reconnects everything and gets everything working again despite where we are. That was a great sermon I preached. Good job, Nathan. Wow, I was really excited. It's a good job. On Thursday of that week, I fell 20 feet. Backwards. And I was cast down. And by all accounts, I should be paralyzed from my neck down. It started a whole new chapter in my life. I was laying in a hospital bed, which was fortunate. Wondering, why did this happen? I just preached on putting my hope in God. And now here I am. One could argue about a lot of different things because I made a really bad mistake in this whole process to actually get there. You just don't fall alone. It's not like God sent an angel and pushed me. But it's not hard to start thinking about all the different other possibilities that could have happened, should have happened, would have happened, and all the other people possibly who were happy that that had happened to me. It was very advantageous. I'm not going to kid you and say that everything was perfect and everything I was doing because it wasn't. And so in some sense, this was an opportunity for me uh, that worked out that I left church ministry. But I did so in a time when things were not resolved. I may have been walking around for a while before I had more surgery and all this other things that happened. But there was more than just my body that had hit. My brain had hit. And my brain wasn't quite the same after I got from that distance. And it took me about six months to recover from that. And by the time I recovered and was down, and I was downcast, oh my soul, everything was affected. That physical fall affected every single aspect of my life. Why art thou cast down, oh my soul? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Savior, and my God. There's a passage in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, which we're all familiar with, especially here at Christmas time. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. 
and everyone went to their town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now I want you to see something this morning because you've actually got a visual here, all right? You can't, I, I don't have a video of me falling. So you can see me flailing and sticking out my arm and crashing and, and getting sick from, you know, hitting my head and, and stumbling out and getting, you can't see all that and the time in the hospital, the 12 weeks with a neck brace on, the surgery through the front, the, you can't see all that stuff, all right? But I want you to see something here this morning. It's really small. What do we have here? We have a picture of baby Jesus. And how is he laying? On his back. Now, Job said we all started out that way, right? Naked I came, naked I'll go. Mary came. I don't know if he was on his back or on his stomach. I don't know what was in those days, which way to lay him. Yeah. All right. Well, let's assume he was on his back like all the things. Do you get the picture? That the Son of God was cast down in some sense. He was stuck in a little baby's body, so to speak. He was the Son of God, but he was—he took on human flesh. The Word of God became flesh and dwelt. He took on human flesh, dwelt upon us. It took angels and people carrying him to get him away from Herod. You might as well be paralyzed. I see this picture of him with his hands up. I'm not sure whether he's praising his father in heaven or he's saying, what in the world? <laughs> Get me out of here. This looks dangerous. I don't feel like I'm in control of the world right now. came with a purpose and he started in this world he took on flesh and dwelt among us to restore people to a relationship with God to restore us from our brokenness but he himself when he came came in this position this position of being brought into this world and cast down upon a manger trough for feeding animals 
And that was the beginning. And I don't have the visual here. You, you have a visual over there of a cross. But an amazing twist of things. God sent his son to be our savior. He lives his life. And then in, in, in an ultimate way of, of being cast down, he is cast down on his back, on wood, and nailed to it. And he looks up to his father and interpret it how you will. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, there's something about being in that position. Some of you may sleep in that position. I don't even have a good sleeping position left. There is nothing. There's no position left for me to sleep in. I'm going to be one of those recliner people here, there, and everywhere trying to find. But this is not about sleep. This is about being in a position with all the power in the world to create the whole universe and yet in a babe. With all the power over all the kings and all the of the universe and nailed to a cross on his back. I don't care if he was upright. He's on his back looking up and saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, the first thing to learn about faith is it's just a matter of looking up. We could make it, and it is a lot more, and we could go into great detail about what faith is and everything. But it's it actually, it's actually when you're at your lowest point, it's a matter of looking up. And a lot of times, you don't have to do anything but open your eyes because you're already looking up. You're already stuck. Looking up, happens after you try everything else to get yourself straightened out yourself. You try to flip over and you try, you know, call for help and, you know, and, and do whatever you need to do. It's like being paralyzed and getting taken to a building and being dropped down in front of Jesus. You really don't your friends really got you there. It didn't have so much to do with your own sense of what you did. We do not have one who is unacquainted with being cast down. We do not have one who is unacquainted with being stuck in human flesh, so to speak, fully God, fully man, but in the some sense being limited by his own humanity. 
We have one who is like us in every way. And able and understanding for us to look up and even say things like, God, God, have you forsaken me in this whole thing? It's not like Jesus is going, oh my, these people, they just don't get it. I keep telling them, but they just don't get it. He is acquainted with our weakness. He is acquainted with our temptation. He is acquainted with being stuck. He came amongst us. And he offers us a type of eternal life and a type of hope and asks us to put our faith in him in this resurrection life. Which doesn't always transfer, I might say, to an immediate up and running around. I wish it did. I wish I could sell you a, a bill of goods today and say, just call on Jesus and your problems will be fixed immediately. It's really, it's really more than that. It's much deeper trust and faith that I'm talking about. It's a faith, it's a trust looking up. It's the same trust of a little baby. My nephew had a little baby this weekend. His wife. It's the same trust that a little baby looks at their parents. They don't know anything about their parents. My kids didn't know anything about us. They didn't know if I was trustworthy or not. They just looked at me and they just trusted. And we don't always know it all. We don't know all the theological. We can study it all, but we don't know. And until you're in that moment where you're stuck and you, you know, the, the reality is, here's the reality. The reality is nearly Two years before I had this accident, the doctor said to me, Nathan, you're a train wreck. That is not a good thing to hear a doctor say to you. Your older life is going to be beset with, with lots of problems with your neck and your back. That's why it's amazing that I somehow survived this fall. Right? Because I was already a train wreck. Not looking forward. I'd already had my accidents. Now my kids call me Mr. Safety. And Mr. Safety had an accident that everybody could say was Mr. Safety's fault. Sometimes you need the Bible, and sometimes around it long enough, I can almost tell you the story, and you know the story, and we don't need to read it. But maybe it's worth turning here today to Luke chapter 15. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and trying to explain to them 
why he helped people out who were sinners or people who didn't have it all together. Maybe were stuck in their sins, maybe stuck, not doing the right thing, just kind of stuck. And the first one he talks about is a sheep. You can interpret it how you will. We all have a picture, right? We know how the sheep was. He's caught in brambles on the side of a mountain, for goodness sakes, right? Could be he was just around the corner behind a bush stuck on his back. Don't know. We know the parable of the lost coin, but let's go to the parable of the lost son. Verse 11. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. If that's not a picture of being stuck based on one's own consequences, I don't know what is. Good little Jewish boy, stuck, feeding pigs and wish he was eating what the pigs were eating. That's pretty stuck, right? That's stuck. That's on your back, helpless. There's no way out of this situation. It's all my fault. You know, cover myself up. Nobody see who I am. Nobody know what I did. Bad decisions. Last thing I want to do is go back and brag about all my bad decisions to my family. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, that is a looking up moment. It's when your mind actually realizes that I can't dig myself out of my own situation I can't help myself. Everywhere you go in this world are people who can't help themselves. You can read the paper and you can listen about your neighbors. You can hear about the kids at school. You can listen to the news, all these things. I could give you one illustration after the other, which tells you about stuck people. People who are in a situation and can't get themselves out of it. They are powerless to change. They are powerless to right things. They are powerless to get justice because someone has done them wrong. They are powerless to fix a situation. Powerless to help someone who needs help. Powerless, powerless, powerless we are. He came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. An epiphany comes to him. Wow. And looking up is, in my mind, equated with doing something because faith is more than something esoteric where you're just thinking, oh, I have faith in God, I believe. It's more than that. It's actually doing something. It's a combination of the two where you're actually doing something that that shows you have some sort of faith or you're doing something. And so I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, and he gets this plan together. The plan is based 
because of who his father is. Is it not? The plan doesn't work unless the father has a certain attitude toward things and the son knows it or he's hoping for it. It's a story. He's hoping for it. We know it. That's faith. We know it. And when a person knows it and turns back and somehow looks at it and, and goes back to God, we know that. So he gets his whole plan together. He's still a long way off. Verse 20. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And we know the story. Bring the best robe, put it on, put a ring on his finger, sandal, bring the fattened calf. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead. That's pretty much on your back. That's pretty much stuck. Spiritually, emotionally, relationally, physically stuck. But now he's alive. He was lost and is found, so let's begin to celebrate. That's a great story, right? But we got an older son here, and he comes into the story, waltzing into the story. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When we came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and said, what's going on? It wasn't, hey, what's going on? It was, what's going on? It was kind of like, what's going on here? I don't like what's going on here. Go check it out. Their servant said, I already checked it out. Your brother's come. Boy, that was such great news to him. He was so happy about that. He was excited. He was overjoyed. What? My brother's here? Oh, good. There's more than one way to be stuck. And we're all in danger of it. I asked you for a moment, when this all went down that I talked about about myself earlier, was I the prodigal son or was I the older son? Brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry. And refused to go in. There are a lot of times that the stuck people, the people that are not trusting God, that are having difficulty with faith, the only reason they're not having difficulty is because they're in church and everything's going well. But the moment things don't go well is the moment they too can get stuck. Or they already are stuck and don't know it. They're trusting in themselves and not trusting in God. They're close. As I tell people, I sometimes get near, if they have a big cross, I get near it and I said, listen, I had all of the equipment on to be safe when I fell. It just wasn't attached. It just was In fact, I unattached it. And I was reaching back to attach it again when I fell. One can become so complacent 
And he answered his father, because, see, this problem did not arise when the younger son came back. This was something that was gnawing on his brain. You know how that gnaws on your brain over and over? It gnaws on your brain. He said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even something to celebrate. In other words, I haven't had my day. I haven't been put up front and said, you're something special. Here, do that. There's something interesting that comes across here. My son, the father said. It's interesting. You know, I wish Jesus had spent more time explaining the Old Testament. But he doesn't. He told stories, which is interesting because in some sense that's what I'm doing for you. I'm weaving a story here, this one, right? I'm weaving something here. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. So that is the reality of anyone who is a son of our father in heaven. But there are times when we get stuck and our faith wavers and we doubt that. We doubt it. So let's go back to Psalm 42. I read up through verse 6, 5. Verse 6, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. And then he talks about places which we don't really know because we haven't been there. But the writers knew where they were. And you know the memory markers in your life of where God was there for you. Jordan, Hermon, Mount Mazar. Deep calls the deep and the roars of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me saying to me all day long, where is your God? As my own mind taunts me, as your own mind sometimes taunts you, where is your God? The voices in your head, other people, maybe relatives, maybe friends, you know, God's really for you, man. It hasn't really worked out for you, you know? Look at me. God's not in my life, and wow, you know, my life's going great. And yours kind of stinks. So, I don't know where your God is, but... Uh, and maybe they don't say that, but you're thinking that's what they're thinking. And so the question becomes really a question. Why, my soul, are you downcast? If I went around the room and said, why have you got stuck? Why have you got stuck? Why have you got stuck? Why are, where were you on your back? Where have you been? It would be a thousand different stories as a pastor 
as now a, a hospital and hospice chaplain, I hear story after story after story. I see people on their back in a lot of different situations. One after another after another. It was the vision in some sense that God gave me while I was in the hospital. Nathan, you're in this position, and now I want you to go to minister to people in this position. People who are stuck. Faith is actually just putting your hope in God and looking up and trusting in God. That's all it is. It's not something big. It's not something huge. And it's doing it over and over again until you're stuck in that position of doing it. You know what I'm saying? You're stuck in one position of doubting. You're stuck in one position of now it's changing and you're getting yourself stuck in a new position of looking up and saying, God, I trust in you no matter what. God, I don't care what goes on. I know you're going to help me. God, I don't care if I die today. I'm going to be with you. It's a stuck position. It's something you get stuck in and you do over and over again. It's not that you need to get out of the stuck position. It's just you need to open up your eyes and look up where your help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It may not change your situation, but it will change your perspective and it will change who you are on the inside. I don't want every one of you to get out your phones because I'm going to do something a little different because I don't feel the need to, in some sense, preach how other people preach or do whatever everyone else does. I do things different now that I don't pastor on a week-to-week -week basis. But I have something for you today. I can find it. You know how it is. When I was laying in the hospital bed during my last surgery, I was reminded of this whole thought process and how I fell and the whole story of how my life had taken a strange turn. I quit pastoring, which May or may not have been a good decision, but did a residency at Geisinger, became a, a chaplain, uh, for, did that for a year, have worked in various, actually worked as a, I took care of people in the hospital for a while when I didn't have a full-time job uh, so I could have insurance because I needed it desperately because of my physical condition. Took care of people who were on their back, helped the nurses out, sat with people with dementia and brain injuries and anxiety. Now as a full-time hospice chaplain and a hospital chaplain, I, I come to people and work with people who are broken and on their back and often need, need to look up. One of those things that... Uh, Let's see if I can do this. 
I think I can pull it off. Um, so I'm going to play for you. Um, I waited till I was old to write. I waited till I was older to write. Some people know me from the past, and uh, I can't remember what I've done and what I haven't done, but uh, writing songs is a new thing for me, writing music. Um, and this is a song that God gave me while I was wearing a neck brace after surgery. And it comes out of this whole conglomeration. This is a bad thing to put a, put a pastor who studied the Word of God on his back. He doesn't need a Bible to think about all the passages. <laughs> he just thinks about them and puts them all together. So in some sense, what I shared with you this morning is, is nutshelling all of those things together of how my brain was working. And then this is the song uh, that I wrote, and I'm going to play it on my phone through this. We're going to get this right. What is there to complain about? My life is set with God. What could ever come that I couldn't face with God? Why hesitate with doubt when my faith is in God? And where could I ever run? My home is with God. It's with God my heart is light. A seed floating on the wind. The words on my tongue. From the melody within, like a kite on a string, I'm dancing again. Why art thou downcast, O my soul? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Put your hope in the one who can pluck you from the clay. Lift your hand to the one who can make you graceful, say, God will lift you high. Why are my eyes on everyone else? Nothing satisfies like God. And do I really need what I'm buying when my needs are met by God? And why am I murmuring to myself? I can talk to God. Must I live with this depressed feeling when I can be possessed by God? With God, the heart is light. The sea floating on the way. Words on my tongue from a melody within. Kite on a street. I'm dancing again. Why art thou downcast on my soul? Why art thou cast down on my soul? Put your hope in the one can pluck you from the flame. Lift your hand to the one can make a graceful sing. God will lift you high. Ah. 
one who can make the graceful save. God will lift you up. This is not old time whatever. But if you feel the need today, as I pray, to lift your hand or to look up, not look around, look up, or lift your hand up, the God who makes the graceful save, to the God who sees those who are stuck, while I pray, I welcome you to do that. God, thanks for being here today. Thank you for your spirit who dwells within us and reminds us of the, your words. Thank you that when we look to you and we reach our hand out to you, that you do help us, that you do, in your own time, in your own way, put us back on our feet, and if not back on our feet, in your presence. And so I pray for each one here, and maybe each one that we may even be thinking about who needs to reach up to you, we feel powerless about. We, we put them in your hands. We put all these things that concern us, all these things that weigh us down, all these things that keep us stuck, all these things that are, that are weighing on us, the situations that we can't control. Why is my soul downcast within me? We put our hope in you, God, for I will yet trust in you, my Savior and my God. Together as a church, we put our trust in you, and we, and we put them in your hands, the things that we can't control. And we trust in you and look up and say, despite all that's going on, despite the things that seem so bad, I trust in you, my Savior and my God. We trust in you, and we put our hope in you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.